My name is Grant Eiley, and I'm excited to share with you guys a really important and powerful passage in John this morning. I feel like God's developing a theme this morning through the music and various things of our sonship, if we believe in Christ, our being sons and daughters of God. So I just want to go ahead and open this with prayer first. Dear Father, I just thank you that you're present with us here in the form of the spirit of your son. God, you're here. Um, pray that you just give me your words, that you speak through me, and that I not just speak words, that we actually see Christ today, that we see you, your reality. Open our eyes to see spiritual reality. We're often fixated on the physical, but I pray that you would just open our eyes, God, so we can see these truths that are reality. Help us to see them, and to live into them, God, and not ignore them. Just give me your words this morning, and just bless our hearing, and help us to act on it, and live into it. In Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen. So if you guys have ever seen the movie My Life, it stars Michael Keaton and Nicole Kidman. The plot is a pretty interesting plot. So he's a guy, he's in a pretty successful career, he enjoys his job, he has a beautiful wife, and then she gets pregnant, and he's, he's excited, like everything's perfect. The American dream is playing itself out right before his eyes. But then he gets some devastating news. He finds out that he has a really bad case of cancer, and he goes to the doctor, and the doctor tells him that he only has four months to live. And so this news, like, just it devastates him. And he just starts thinking about what he's going to do. And then they go in for their periodic doctor visit, and they find out that they're going to have a son. So what he does is he starts recording these videos because he knows he's not going to be around for his son as his son grows. So he starts recording these videos so that his son can know all the important things that he needs to know about being a man and being an adult is he starts to grow older. So he shows him how to shave. He says, okay, this is good music. Your mom has awful taste in music, so please don't get your taste from your mom. And he starts walking him through all the essentials of what he thinks his son will know to live life in this world. In the passage we're going to look at this morning from John 14, verses 15 through 18, it's a very, very similar context, actually. Jesus... In John chapter 13, it's the Last Supper, he washes his disciples' feet and he says, love each other as I've loved you. And then he starts this long teaching, this long teaching, the end of John 13, that goes all the way to the last verse of John chapter 16. And it's called his farewell discourse. Discourse just means teaching. So this farewell discourse is John chapter 13 through 16. And everything in it, is Jesus telling his disciples the key things that, he's, that they're going to need to know to keep living the Christian life as his followers after he returns to the Father. And you can literally boil it down to only three or four basic themes. Um, and so in John 14, the very beginning, he says, I'm going to go away to my Father and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when it's ready, I'm going to come and get you. And he says... In John chapter 14, verse 3, he says, I'm going to come and get you, 
that where I, and bring you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So he's talking about heaven. He's going to go prepare a place, and then he's going to come. His second coming, he's going to come and get all true believers in Christ. And then the next verses, he starts saying, well, first his disciple says, well, where are you going, Jesus? We don't know the way. And Thomas says to him, he says, he says, Jesus, we don't know the way. And Jesus says to Thomas, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How can you say you don't know the way to the Father? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Philip starts asking me questions. He's like, you've seen the Father. Like, I'm God present. I'm God present with you. And so then after that is where our text is going to be today. So he talks about his second coming first, where he's going to come and get all true Christians. Then he recaps his first coming like, hello, like I'm God with you. You need to realize that. Like I've been God in the flesh. And so he tells them that two key things, his first coming and his second coming. But then in the passage we're going to look at today, he explains the middle period, the time in between times, the time in between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. Because we can't visibly see Jesus today. We walk by faith and not by sight. So our, our walk with Jesus is largely a walk of faith. We read about him in the Bible the words that the disciples wrote in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but we have not actually seen Jesus. But the thing I want us to keep in mind as we read this is that Jesus is an actual historical person. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or an unbeliever. It's proven fact Jesus is a historical person, and his life actually changed the course of history more than any other man. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter in one sense, what your stance you stand on, he still changed history, whether you like it or not. This is my Wisconsin driver's license. And right at the bottom, it says date of birth. Date of birth. And the year I was born is actually goes 1980. That shows how old I am. But 1980, that means it's 1,980 years after the birth of Christ. So anyone who has an American driver's license, you literally have on your driver's license proof that God came in the flesh in the person of Jesus. God came in the flesh in the person of Jesus. And the reason Jesus came is to guide us, to be a good shepherd, because a good dad, a good dad does not father his kids from a distance. I wouldn't want to, like I've been away from my family and I call my wife and talk to the kids at night, but I don't actually really enjoy parenting my kids from a distance. I like being right there where I can watch them grow, enjoy them, and correct them, and be right there. So God doesn't parent us from a distance either. He sent Jesus in the flesh to shepherd us and guide us. So can we look at John 10, 7 through 10? So this is the back. In order to understand my passage, I'm just going to lay a little bit of framework about Jesus. Because we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is currently how God guides us into the life of Christ. But the Holy Spirit and Jesus, they're like inextricably linked. If you just think of the Holy Spirit as like this presence or some weird power out there, you're going to totally miss it. Because the Holy Spirit and Jesus are inextricably linked. So let's read the passage. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. 
All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. So we're going to start developing a theme of Jesus' sheep listened to him. The sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So in Jesus' time, in the in the evening, after the sheep had been out in the pasture for a while, the shepherd, in the evening, he would bring the sheep back, and he would actually look at each one and make sure he had each one. He'd bring them back in, into the fold, into where he put them down for the night. And there was a door, actually, that they would go in where he'd keep them at night so they didn't stray or get caught by wild animals. And so Jesus is saying, like, I'm the door. You've got to come through me, but then you get to be part of my family, part of my sheepfold. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the good shepherd comes that his sheep might have life and not just ho-hum life, but have it abundantly. And if we could go to the next one. Now, then Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So later, Jesus is going to do the Great Commission. All four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he says, go out into the world. Go out into the world and tell people the good news, the gospel. And every one of his disciples, except for John, was killed for preaching the gospel. But in order for them to go out and do that, they had to trust the person who they were representing I wouldn't want to like go lay down my life for someone. I wouldn't want to move to Turkey like Nick and Emily did unless I trusted the shepherd. So he's saying the good shepherd, I'm the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. So the good shepherd leads and he bleeds. You can trust the shepherd who bleeds for you because he's not just saying go do something. He loves his sheep and bleeds for them. And if we could go, go to the next verse. I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know my Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So he keeps saying this theme. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. So that's important. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. That's us. That's us. He's saying there are going to be other sheep who are going to believe in him through his disciples' word. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. They will listen to my voice. That's the difference between a follower of Christ and someone who does not follow Christ, someone who's not in the sheepfold. They don't listen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock, one shepherd. Then if you could go to the next one. And then here Jesus summarizes it. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and I'll skip ahead, and they follow me. So as Christians, we hear, we hear Jesus' voice, and we follow him. It's kind of weird if you think about it that we all gather here on Sunday, and we're from all different backgrounds, um, just we're, we're very different, but Christians come together for one reason, because we all follow the shepherd. And as you've noticed, every Sunday, Jesus, every, <laughs> Jerry, every Sunday, Jerry preaches from Luke. 
Jerry preaches from Luke recently. He's going through Luke, which is the words of Jesus. So we're all sitting here because we actually believe that those are the words of God. Other people, a lot of people are like, yeah, what, whatever. They don't really believe in Jesus' words. But we all come here for one reason. We're the sheep and we listen to Jesus' voice. So that's what, that's what we have in common as Christians is we all believe in the shepherd and we believe we trust his voice and we listen. We might fall down and fail, but we fall forward because the Holy Spirit keeps us going. So let's look at our text this morning. John 10, or John 14, sorry. John 14, verses 15 through 18. John 14, 15 through 18. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So what he's doing right here is he's setting the ground for what he's going to say next in verse 16. He's saying, I'm talking to believers because the Bible uses obedience and faith interchangeably. Obedience and faith interchangeably. If you truly believe, if you truly believe in Jesus, you're going to obey him. But if you say you believe in him, but don't obey him, it's, it's fake. So I'll show you an example, and then we'll read a verse. So this is a quarter minted in the U.S. There's heads. There's heads on the front of this quarter. So what would be on the back of this quarter if it's a legit quarter, if it's not counterfeit? There would be tails. There would be tails. But if you flip it over and it's blank, if I flipped it over and it was blank, you'd say that's not like... That's not a real quarter. That's something you from like a kid's a playhouse or something. But the way we know, we've seen so many authentic quarters and dollars that we, we know what's on the back because it's legitimate. And so that's how the Bible uses faith and obedience. It uses it like a two-sided coin. You have, if you have one, you have to have the other. If you don't have the other, like it's not legit. So you always know if someone has true faith by whether or not they obey obey Christ. And he says this earlier in John 3. John 3:36. So listen to this. He does a play on an idea here. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. So he says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son will not see life. So you'd think he'd say, whoever does not believe in the Son will not see life. But he substitutes Jesus substitutes obey for belief. So listen again. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So verse 16, he's saying, this is for my followers, those who love me and keep my commandments. Now let's look at verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever. Oh, let's go. Um, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, says, another helper. Another helper. So he's, he's the first helper. He literally walked around with the disciples all day, slept by the same fire at night, and he taught them. They were like, he was like present with them all the time. Just like I said, a good parent doesn't parent their kids from afar. A good parent is right there. They're a present parent 
And so that's what, that's what Jesus was to them. And if you read John 13 through 16, Jesus constantly says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. Like, have peace. So there's a, when you read the Bible, it's very important to bring yourself into the mood of what's being written, the mood of the text. So if you're reading in Lamentations or certain Psalms, there might be a sad or a grieving tone. But then other passages are real excited, excited, like praise be to God. There's worshipful themes. But then there's other ones that are encouraging. The, it's meant to encourage us. And which is very interesting because other, other holy books of other religions, they don't have that. If you've ever read the book um, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, it's about a Muslim who grew up Islamic, and then he had a Christian roommate, and he kept examining the Bible with him. And finally, one day, he, he says, God, like, Allah, like, I don't know which one is true. Show me if Jesus is true, or show me if Allah is true. And then he, he looked in the Quran, and there was no comfort. And then he looked in the Bible, and it was like the perfect words of comfort right there. So God, God knows what we need. So anyways, verse 16 says, I will give you another helper to be with you forever. So Jesus was going to leave and go to heaven, but, but he's saying, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to be my substitute, and he will be with you forever. So he's saying, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you child without a father. So look at verse 17 now. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So if you haven't yet accepted Christ, talk about the Holy Spirit. It doesn't really make sense because the door you have to walk through is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. So once you place your faith in Jesus and walk through him, then a whole new life opens up. He gives you the Holy Spirit to live inside you and to guide you. And then as Christians, we have a daily choice whether or not we're going to listen to that still small voice of the Spirit saying, go God's way, or if we're going to say, no, no, I want to go my way. And it's a choice. Romans 7 says there's an inner battle. Like, we want to go this way, but God's saying, no, you're my son, you're my daughter. Like, that's not the best way. That's relying on your own understanding. You need to go my way. So now let's look at verse 17 again. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. So he's talking to his disciples. You know him. So he's referring to the Holy Spirit as him, not it. You know him for he, he, the Holy Spirit is a person. He dwells with you and will be in you and will be in you. So a little bit later, Jesus says, like, why are you sad? Don't you know it's better that I go away? Because then I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit. And the reason it's better is because the Holy Spirit will, not, will be in us, and not just like Jesus was with us, but the Holy Spirit is actually in us. And the Holy Spirit can actually be in us here as believers and be with Nick and Emily in Turkey or our kids. If our kids move away to college, we don't have to fear because the Holy Spirit can be with them. He's like a helper that is everywhere. He's omnipresent. So there's a lot of benefits to 
Jesus going away and sending the Holy Spirit. So he will, be, he will dwell with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's completing a thought from a few verses earlier where he said, little children, little children. In John 13, verse 33, he says, or 27, he says, little children. So now he's saying here, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So imagine a father going away and his son or his daughter's like, no, daddy, don't go away, don't go away. Like, I want you here with me. I'm scared. Like, I need your wisdom. I need your wisdom. And him saying, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm going to send you a helper. Because Jesus was primarily two things to them. He was the presence of God, and he was the direction of God. Jesus led, but he was also the presence. And that's what a good father does. A good father is present for his kids just to be with them. Well, sometimes my kids will get scared. Like, my daughter will get scared at night in her room, and she'll say, Dad, come in here. And I'll say, okay, but you need to fall asleep, so we're not going to talk. So I just sit there, and she falls asleep like that because there's something calming about my presence. And so that's what Jesus was. He was the presence of God that they could see with their eyes, and he taught them. He was called a teacher. He taught them how to live, and that's what a good father does. He's, the, he's present with his children. He's not an absent father, and he guides them. He doesn't just play like fun dad where he's like, oh, I'm going to hang out with you all the time, play video games, and eat junk food all day. He's with his kids, spending time with them, but he also guides them in what they need to do to reach maturity and to live life to the fullest, to live life, live life abundantly. So let's look at some applications now. There's, there's a lot. You could probably preach 10 sermons on all the different cool things the Holy Spirit does. But the key thing to remember is the Holy Spirit is God with us, and the Holy Spirit guides us into life of Christ. And the Holy Spirit always makes Christ more alive, more alive to us. And the Holy Spirit is actually called the Spirit of Christ three different places, Romans 8, in Acts, and in Philippians 1, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. So that's why Jesus can say, I will not leave you as orphans. He's actually, because Jesus is actually coming to us in the form of the Holy Spirit. He's sending another helper. So let's look at some applications right now, because that is a powerful truth. If we really realize that when we go to work, we're not alone, that God is actually inside us, that is, that's pretty awesome and life-changing. The end of the Great Commission, Jesus says, and behold, I am with you. In verse 18 of Matthew 28, he says, go make disciples of all nations. And then the end of it, he says, and I am with you always to the end of the age. And I used to just think, yeah, that's a nice thought. We just carry Jesus in our heart. We kind of think, oh yeah, he's with me because I'm doing his work. But what he's actually saying is I'm with you to the end of the age in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So it's a really powerful truth when we realize that we are God's sons and daughters, and he is not an absent father. He is actually with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus can say, it's better that I go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he will dwell with you and in you. So it's a powerful truth, but then what we have to do, we go back and live our life, <laughs> which is pretty, life's not easy, so like how do we live 
this life of following Jesus who we can't see with our eyes anymore because he went to the Father, but we know came. How do we follow Jesus through the Holy Spirit now? That's a little easier said than done because we can't. Jesus isn't here talking to us and guiding us. So I'm just going to give some, some practical things that I've learned that have helped me and that are um, in the Bible and I think will help you too. And it's a process like growing in these things. I'm still, still learning how to live in these things, but they're truths that really help direct our lives as Christians for how to follow Jesus through the direction of the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk about a few ways that the Holy Spirit does not lead us. The de- does not lead us. I believe the Christian life is a journey, and on every journey, if you go someplace very far, it starts and stops. You drive out of your driveway, but one of your kids has to go to the bathroom or you have to get gas, and you stop. But then you start again. It starts and stops. So on the journey, the Christian life, there's going to be starts and stops. So let's look at a few things you have to, that we need to stop. As Christians are ways the Holy Spirit, the way God does not lead us through the Holy Spirit. So the first thing is, is that the Holy Spirit does not bring condemnation, does not bring condemnation. So an example is sometimes we will walk around, we will walk around with a low, low-grade sense of guilt and not being good enough, like, I need to do more. I need to, like, be a better mother. I need to be a better father. I need to be better at this. We have this low-grade sense of anxiety, but we can't always put our finger on what it is. We just feel not good enough. And there's this general and vague sense of, I'm not good enough. We feel shamed. And there could be a lot of reasons for that. It could be our personality or our upbringing or our culture, but we have this general and vague sense of, shame and that we're not good enough and it doesn't go away it like it nags at us that is that is the devil and that's or our culture and our own thoughts that is not the holy spirit the bible actually calls satan the accuser you can tell a lot about a person by their name in the bible names are important he's called the the father of lies and he's called the accuser the accuser of the brethren so he accuses us to ourselves and he, he even puts in our mind ideas where we want to like be negative towards other people. So it's not the Holy Spirit when you feel condemnation or low-grade guilt. But what the Holy Spirit does do is the Holy Spirit brings conviction. The Holy Spirit brings conviction that is general and it's specific and it leads us in a direction. It never attacks our worth. The Holy Spirit never attacks our worth. He says... You're doing this, my son. You're doing this, my daughter. And this is not, not going to give you the abundant life. Here's what you need to do. You need to go this direction. And he get, makes it very general and specific. And as soon as you change directions and you humbly say, yeah, you're right, God, I'm sorry, and you apologize, then the conviction goes away. But condemnation never goes away. So we have to remember that as Christians, Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which you literally have to reshape your brain because our justice system in America is two-part. It's conviction, it's conviction, or like sentencing. You go, you go before the judge, you did something, you're sentenced, and then the second part is you get your consequence. You get your consequence. 
which is your sentence. Okay, you got to do two years in prison or pay this fine. So it's sentencing, and then your it's your your conviction. You're guilty of this, and then you get a sentence. But in God's economy, it's totally different. It's a three-part system. It's that you are you get your sentence like you're a sinner, like you've done this. It's wrong. But then Jesus bears the penalty. That's the second part. And you go free. As a child of God, Ephesians 1 says, you're actually set free, set free through his substitution. So we have to totally like reshape our thinking and we have to say, okay, God, even when I, even when I sin, what I need to do is be humble and repent and get rid of that conviction. But then I need to remember that you don't treat me like the world, the world thinks. You don't think like the world thinks. Jesus took the condemnation, so I need to get rid of that. And then another thing we need to stop on the way is we can't follow culture. If you want to think God's thoughts, you can't think our culture's thoughts. The Bible says, like, you have to do not be conformed to this culture, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we have to not be led by culture. Another thing we can't do if we want to follow the Spirit's leading is we can't follow our family. We can't follow our family, which can be a little bit harder because that's more immediate. And there can be a lot, of, a lot of pressure. If you've ever seen Everybody Loves Raymond, my wife and me like watching that. But Raymond is always like tugged between his mom, who's like, Raymond. And she puts a guilt trip on him, tries to use shame. And then his wife is like, oh, she makes me mad, that woman. She's like, I want you to do this. And he's like a ping pong ball. He just goes between the two. And I think that's a good picture of what we are like sometimes if we don't have our eyes on the shepherd. Like, we're either, like, trying to please our family or please our boss. Not that that's necessarily bad to, you know, do your, it's good to do your job good. But we're always consumed with, with trying to please other people or fulfill our own expectations of what we think we need to do to have self-worth. I need to attain to this level. So, and the third thing is that we have to let go of self-trust and having our own ambitions. We literally have to die to our own ambitions and own desires. It doesn't mean that God might not give us some of those back, but we first have to say, here, here, shepherd, like, you can have what's in my hand. You're the leader, Jesus. You're the leader, and you died for me. You died for me, so my life's not my own. Paul says, um, you've been bought with a price. And he says, do you not know that your life is not your own? You now belong to another. So we have to let go of our own ambitions and our own self-trust and our own self-will if we want to follow the shepherd. And the last thing we have to get rid of is we have to get rid of unforgiveness we have to get rid of unforgiveness or any um, pet sin that we're holding in our hand. Both those are huge if we're like, I really want to follow you all the way, shepherd, except for this one thing. Or except because, or I don't want to forgive this person. I'll forgive them tomorrow. We have to let that go or we're not going to have a clear connection with the shepherd. Okay, so how does the Holy Spirit lead us? Let's just look at a couple of things. Um, first, you have to determine that you want to follow God, that you want to follow God. And it's like a, literally a daily, hourly choice, because there's times where I'm like, okay, God, I really want to follow you today. And he says, do this. <laughs> I'm like, 
oh, well, I want to follow you, but that's a little bit too hard. Like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to forgive my wife, or I don't want to, like, not do anything for myself today and just, like, serve my kids. Like, there's so many things that he says, and he says, do it now. He's very immediate, kind of like a kid, or kind of like a parent says to their kid, like, I want you to obey now, not because they're not a good parent, but because they want what's best for the parent, for their kid. Um, the second thing is practice listening prayer. Practice listening prayer. Our, I really fear a lot for Christians and young people in our culture because we're so some, consumed with technology. So there's benefits to it too, but we're so consumed with technology. I was reading an article and it says that every time like, you look at your phone, it releases dopamine, which is like a pleasure sensor and that you that it literally just gets you excited but it said but the research said they found people that do that are actually more stressed out and not at peace so it suggests just setting set times during the day or once an hour where you check your phone so anyways the point is if you want to follow the spirits leading you really have to be still and practice listening prayer and do it throughout the day just say god like I want to clear this up. I have this low-grade sense of shame or like I'm not good enough or I just feel in a rush. Like if you feel in a rush or like tense, that's a good question to ask yourself. Say, am I feeling tense? And say, God, why, why am I feeling so tense or why am I frustrated? And just let the Spirit talk to you because the Spirit lives inside us and talks to us. And the Holy Spirit doesn't have to talk outside out loud with the voice. Because if I talk to you, all you're doing is taking a message through your ear and you're transmitting what the meaning and it goes straight to your brain. But the Holy Spirit can bypass our ear. He just goes right to our impressions. Because as child, children of God, we are, we are led by the Spirit. And so I just want to give you a verse that's helpful, that I think helps for listening prayer. This is helpful. Remember, this is from Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So listen to Romans 8, 15 again. And think of that song that we sang today. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. So Romans 8:15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. So I'm just going to close with that thought. This week... Practice listening prayer. Practice listening prayer. Just still yourself. Take a few minutes each day. And even do it throughout the day. Every time you get tense or frustrated or you feel a low-grade sense of shame or you're not good enough, um, or even you feel like you're being real ambitious but it's for your own thing or you're so focused on this thing that you're not really thinking about God, just stop and ask yourself. Say, God, like, is this of you? And listen. And then get in the Word a lot because the Bible calls the Bible the sword of the Spirit. It's the sword of the Spirit. And Hebrews 4.12 says that, like, the Spirit, or the Bible, 
is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it cuts, cuts right down to who we are, right at our heart, and it divides our thoughts and intentions. So if you want to if you want to be convicted, don't pray. Or if you don't want to be convicted, don't pray. Or don't listen in prayer. Just talk all the time. Don't listen. And then don't read the Bible. Or if you do read it, read it really fast and don't listen. But if you want the Good Shepherd to lead you and guide you into the abundant life through His Spirit who dwells with us and in us, then just practice listening prayer. Because the Holy Spirit is called He it's a person, and God loves his children. He doesn't parent us from afar. So he literally wants to be right here guiding and directing us. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. So the question we can ask this week is, am I listening to God's voice? And once we do start listening, like a lot of times I think, okay, if I stop and listen, he's just going to tell me all the ways I don't measure up. I don't measure up and like, that's not really going to be fun because I already know I'm not good enough, so I'm not going to do it. But you'll actually be amazed. You'll be amazed what God will tell you, like things you couldn't even think up in your own mind. He'll lead you into a life of joy and adventure and fulfillment because we, we as children of God are meant to be characterized by peace. The last verse, the very last thing Jesus says in John 16 is in verse 33. And then he prays the high priestly prayer in John 17. And then he goes to the cross. He prays the high priestly prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. But the very last verse in John chapter 16, he says, My peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. Actually, let me, let me just read it to you so I get it exactly right. It's pretty powerful. So the very last thing Jesus says in this teaching is he says, I have said these things to you. That in me, in me, you may have peace. In the world you will have, don't say you maybe will have. He says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. So my encouragement to you this, this week is just turn your eyes on Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.